Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. When you hear the phrase, or when you say the phrase, your kingdom come, or hear the phrase, kingdom of heaven, or kingdom of God, what comes to your mind? Maybe you picture heaven, or at least what you think heaven will be like, right? People floating on clouds all day, playing harps and loincloths next to chubby little baby angels. Maybe that is what you think about when you hear the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Maybe you think kingdom of heaven and you think about that long movie that came out in 2005 with Liam Neeson and Orlando Bloom, the kingdom of heaven about the crusades and and the battles that occurred between Christians and Muslims over the Holy Land, maybe you've never really thought about the kingdom of God or the significance of the kingdom of God in your life, except in the Lord's Prayer. And even then, maybe when you pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. So often it becomes just rote words. We don't really understand or get the significance or the meaning of praying for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And so this morning we're continuing our series entitled One. And over the last few weeks we've been exploring the things that unite us together as Christians. Ideals and and beliefs that make us distinct And make us winsome at the same time. And it's important because uh, for us as the church, uh, we've got to talk about these things. And we live in a time and a place where where the church is being pressured to minimize its distinctions from the culture. And so this morning we're looking at the fact that we as a church are united. And we're united in one cause. And it's the cause of the kingdom, God's kingdom. And so as we explore what Scripture means by the kingdom of God, the question that we're going to be asking this morning is, how do we labor for the kingdom? How do we labor for the kingdom? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 through 25, or the words will be on the screen as well, but hear God's word this morning. And he, being Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. 
And great crowds followed. And they followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and beyond the Jordan. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me this morning? Our Father and our King and our Ruler. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would open our hearts and our minds this morning. That we would understand what it means to be a kingdom people. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. So if you look at this passage in Matthew, and it's actually the tail end of the passage that, that Pastor Tim preached Last week, but Matthew is telling the account of what happened after Jesus called his first disciples, and he's essentially he's just summarizing Jesus's ministry. And it's important because Matthew is not only telling us what Jesus was doing during that time, right? One of which is in verse twenty-three, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. But he's setting the stage for what Jesus is about to talk about. And if you look ahead in Matthew 5, we get into the Sermon on the Mount, right? One of the most famous sermons ever preached. And the Sermon on the Mount is even known at times to be, be called the norms of the kingdom. And so what Matthew is doing is he's setting up what it means. He's setting up what Jesus was doing. And what he was, not only what he was doing then, but what he was about to do. And so before we talk about how we labor in the kingdom or exactly what that looks like. We briefly need to understand what is Jesus talking about when he says the kingdom of God. And there's this broad, and so several ways of looking at it. And this is huge. This is massive. But, but there's a broad way of looking at it to begin with. And in the broad sense, the kingdom of God, when you think about God's kingdom, it's God's eternal reign over everything. Right? It's the fact that God has been ruling over all, over everything, over all creation, all eternity, from the beginning of time. Right? Psalm 103 says, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. And so there's a sense in which this broad sense, when you think about the kingdom of God, it's God's eternal forever reign and rule. But then there's this developing idea of the kingdom as well that we see in Scripture. And we see it all throughout Scripture. We see it from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And it's this thread of the kingdom of God being woven all throughout the Bible. Right? And it's the idea of God's rule over God's people in God's place. God's rule over God's people in God's place. And we see that in Genesis, right, with Adam and Eve. That that God is ruling over His people in His place, and everything is good, and then sin enters, and that relationship is broken. Right, and God's lordship gets real fuzzy. But then God reconstitutes His kingdom. He reestablishes His kingdom, and you look, He reestablishes it with Abraham, and then with Moses, and the nation of Israel, God's rule God's people, God's place. And so you see this idea of Canaan being God's place. But it doesn't stop there. Because then we see God's kingdom extends further outside of the Old Testament. 
And it's not just to Israel, but it's to every tribe and every tongue and every nation, right? Jew and Gentile, which is really good for us, right? That's the, so you're going, does that have anything to do with me? You better believe it, unless you were a Jew. I know, maybe you were. But, but that's really good news for us, because that means it extends to us, and so it means it has relevance to us, right? And so in God's new place is this new Jerusalem in this heavenly home that Jesus is establishing. And so we see this unfolding all throughout Scripture. This idea of God's kingdom. And that there's these two rival factions in God's kingdom, right? There's those who serve God. And those who are following God. And those whose primary desire is to worship their one true king. And then you have this completely other faction of those who are opposed to God. And that those who aren't following God as their true king. And while at times, if you look throughout Scripture, you're not quite sure how it's going to end. And you can only imagine what those people who are in the stories of the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, would have been feeling and thinking, how is this going to happen? How is this going to happen? Where is the king? When is he going to return? We do know that Scripture is clear that in the end, God will have victory over all. Right? Paul is very clear about that in Philippians 2. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. Right? You can't hide. <laughs> Everywhere. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so we, kinda, we, we see in this idea, in this development of the kingdom, three stages of the kingdom, and God having victory over the last stage. God's ultimate victory is, is what we call the consummation, right? Where it all is going to tie together at the end. That God will have victory over all. But there's two prior ideas and concepts of the kingdom before that. And the first is the inauguration of the kingdom, right? Where the kingdom has come. And then you see the second step, which is the continuation of Jesus' rule in heaven. And then finally, the consummation. And so this morning what we see is the inauguration of the kingdom. That the king has come. In the Old Testament, if you remember, Israel was what? They were waiting. They were waiting for their king. And in the New Testament, what do we see? That the king has come. Right? Even in Matthew 2... Right when the Magi visit Jesus, and they come and they, they say what? They say, where is he that has been born king of the Jews? The king has come. I keep thinking about the Lion King. If you've ever seen the movie, The Lion King, there's that part where you know, Simba has this like experience with his father and he goes, Simba, you know who you are. And he's like, you're my son and the one true king. And then he leaves and now his friends are looking for him and they go, where is he? He's gone. And Rafiki, the, the crazy monkey shows up, right? And they're going, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? And Rafiki goes, he's not here, they go, clearly. And he goes, where is he? He goes, the king has returned. And it's like the king has not just returned, but the king has come for us. Jesus, the King, has come. 
And he begins his public ministry in, in Matthew 4, just a few verses before our passage this morning. He begins, and he begins by preaching, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so we see that the kingdom has come. In the passage this morning, we see how the kingdom has come through Jesus' ministry. And if you look at verse 23, the first thing that we see, and he went throughout all Galilee. So what is Jesus' ministry? Right here. Traveling around everywhere, right? He's an itinerant preacher, constantly on the move, traveling. But what is he doing? What is the meat and potatoes of Jesus' ministry? And it tells us right here, and the first thing we see that number one is teaching, right? Teaching in their synagogues. Well, who's in the synagogues? It's the religious people, the religious leaders. This is church-going folks, or the people that are in the synagogues. And so we see this element of Jesus teaching to people who are already familiar with his message. Part of Jesus' ministry was going to the churches, and going in churches and telling people, and encouraging people, and, and, and Helping them understand and see that, oh yes, the king is here, and I am the king. And so the first element we see is that he's teaching, but there's another aspect as well. And if you look, and it says in verse 23, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And so the second part of Jesus' ministry is proclaiming. Proclaiming to people who aren't as familiar. It's preaching. And Matthew here says the gospel, right? We know that the gospel literally means the good news. But when he says gospel here, he's not just talking about the gospel being how you become a Christian. You know, so often in the church, when we think about the gospel and you hear the term gospel, right? We, believe, we think, well, that's what you believe when you become a Christian, right? You believe the gospel, but the gospel is more than that. Right? My former pastor used to say, the gospel is not just the ABCs. It's the A to Z. It's the whole thing. And so the gospel does mean good news. But it's, and it does mean that the good news that Christ died for your sins. But it's more than just that. See, the good news and the gospel that, that Matthew is saying that Christ is proclaiming is the good news of the victory of, for the kingdom of God. Good news of victory for the kingdom of God. The king is here, and his kingdom has come. Right? And so you see the first element of Jesus' ministry is a ministry of teaching and proclaiming. It's a ministry of words, of speaking of the message of the good news of the victory of the kingdom. And there's an element where it's kind of this two-part victory, right? Because it's a, it's a victory of deliverance, but it's also a victory of defeat. Deliverance, right? Israel, think, Israel, what, what are they looking for? They're looking for deliverance. But Jesus is coming, and he, but is he the deliverance that they thought he was going to be? No came as a baby in a manger, not on a horse, carrying a sword. 
Right? They're looking for deliverance, but it's not, not just this political deliverance. It's a spiritual deliverance. It's a deliverance from Satan, from the power of sin. But it is also a defeat, and a very clear defeat at that. It's the defeat of Satan. Right? So you see this element of Christ's victory being defeat and deliverance. And so the first parts that Jesus comes, it's a ministry of words. But he shows us that the kingdom has come through his actions as well. Actions of deliverance and defeat. And if you look, continuing on in verse 23, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And so the next element that we see is teaching, proclaiming, and now healing as the work of the kingdom and as Christ's ministry of the kingdom. And if you think about sickness, what, what is sickness? Well, sickness at its root is the result of sin, isn't it? And so we see here Jesus defeating the power of sin through healing and literally casting out demons. And so robbing evil of their servants. So this defeat of evil is very, very clear in what Jesus is, is doing. And while Matthew doesn't list every single disease that Jesus healed, and there's no doubt about it that he couldn't and did not heal everyone, he is showing that there is no disease out of his control, that there is no infirmity, there is no ailment that is not under the power and lordship of Christ the King. And so they show not just physical defeat over Satan, then they show a spiritual defeat as well. And they provide physical deliverance. And so you say, what is Jesus doing? He's giving them a taste of the future kingdom, right? When all sickness and disease are gone. He's giving them a taste. He's giving them an element of this is the, what to come, what, the best is yet to come. That this is what is going to happen. Hold tight, have faith. The best is yet to come. This is going to happen. Right? Most of you who are involved in a business or, or a job, or maybe you've started a business, when you get started, what is it that keeps you going? What keeps you carrying on? What keeps you motivated day in and day out when it gets really hard and it's really a drag and you feel like you're not moving forward and you're not going anywhere and nothing is happening? Why, it's the hope. The hope that what? That you're going to make it, right? That your business is going to thrive, that you're going to get off the ground, and it's going to expand, and it's going to take off. And whatever that looks like for you. In school, right? What, what keeps you going, students, day in and day out? It's the hope of graduation. <laughs> but it's the hope of what? Of a future, of a job. And so you keep going through the difficult, and you keep going through the hard. Same thing in every element of life. 
there's, there's something in the future that drives us to strive in the here and now. And that's kind of the picture that Jesus is painting. He's giving you a taste of what's to come. And so the kingdom has come. And you can even look at the effect and see what it had, right? I mean, look, it says his fame spread all throughout Syria. And that great crowds followed him. And great crowds came from Decapolis and Jerusalem beyond the Jordan. And while Jesus' ministry stayed kind of fairly local throughout his ministry, people were coming from even a hundred miles away to see him. And you go, wow. That's, I mean, listen, this is not, they didn't have Twitter, they didn't have Snapchat, they didn't have Instagram, they didn't have Facebook. Word, it was word of mouth. It was a big deal to travel that far. And so you have to understand that they had to understand that there was something happening. Something was going on. And it had to be a pretty big deal. For two summers I worked at Walt Disney World. Um, I won't tell you what I did. I'm under contract. I'm not able or allowed to tell you. Just kidding. I was not Mickey. I was Aladdin. Um, if you, you will think about Aladdin in a minute, and you will remember what he was wearing or not wearing, you will go, ha, no, you weren't. Uh, no, I wasn't. I worked, like, pushing a green button. Uh, but anyhow, famous people love to come to Disney. In the two summers that I worked at Disney, uh, you would see these famous people, and you could always tell because they were with the guest service person, they have this red plaid vest on. And the minute you saw one of those, you're like, okay, boom, boom. You lock in, you go, okay, who's with them? Who's famous? Who's famous with them? Um, and you would occasionally see people. I saw John Stamos one time. If you ever watched Full House, ouch. Um, John Stamos, I got in like a little gunfight with him. On, it was kind of cool. But um, that was kind of it. I mean, well, kind of cool, but not really. Um, but I did see John Stamos. But you would see famous people. But they would tell you very, very, very clearly when you go through Disney University that that exists. Um, that they would tell you, you may not speak to them. I mean, you can if they come up to you. But if you want to lose your job, the fastest way to lose your job at Walt Disney World is to walk up to a famous person and go, can I have your autograph, please? Quickest way to get fired. I mean, you may as well take off the shirt, your badge, hand them your wallet, and just... Whatever it is, because they, if you pull a stunt like that. But the joke, the running joke that we had that summer was who would cause you to lose your job? I mean, who, if you saw them, <laughs> would make you go, I, I'm out. I, if I see him, I'm going. I'm going to make a beeline. Uh, and I'll never forget my friend Landon was a huge baseball fan, and we had heard rumor that Roger Clemens was somewhere in the park, right? And when Landon heard that the rocket was at Disney and that he could potentially see him, he made it very clear to everybody, I want you all to know that I will lose my job if I see Roger Clemens because I will run up to him. This was like before cell phones. I will ask the guest service people to take a picture with me and then I will hand over my badge and lose it. Right? And so who, for you, would you travel to go see? What band? What person? Right? If you found out right now that somebody was in downtown Thomasville, what would make you get up, leave your children, your people, everything, and go? <laughs> who? And you think about that and you go, that's the effect that Jesus was having. Because there was a hunger and a thirst for more and for the kingdom.
It was having that effect all over the area. Right? The Roger, well, the Roger Clemens effect. That I'll drop it all, I'll lose it all to go. And you see the impact that his ministry of words and his ministry of deeds was having. And so he shows us through word and deed. The physical and the spiritual. Defeat and deliverance. But as the church, we experience this tension when thinking about the kingdom, don't we? This already but not yet aspect. That the kingdom has come, but it's not fully here yet. We live in that middle ground of the continuation of where Jesus is now ruling from heaven. And yet, as followers of Christ, as disciples, as Christians, we're called to labor for the kingdom. To be Christian means to be called up into the mission of God. To kingdom work. And so how then do we labor for the kingdom? And I think it starts out of remembering that it's not out of duty, but out of delight. Delight in the fact of what God has done in our own hearts and lives. What Paul says in Colossians 3, that we ourselves have been delivered, that Jesus, He has delivered us, Paul says in Colossians, from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Think about that. We aren't that great. In and of ourselves, we're not. But God, being rich in mercy because of His love, made us alive in Christ and delivered us from a kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of light and called us sons and daughters of the King of the universe in whom, He says, we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Friends, that is good news this morning. And that is a reason to desire to be a part of what God is doing in the world. And that is a reason to desire to be a part of God's work both here in Thomasville, in your own homes, in your neighborhoods, in your businesses, in this community, in this state, in this country, in this world. Because of the deliverance that we have experienced. And so the gospel is our motivation. Because we have been delivered, how can we not seek for others to be delivered as well? And so I think understanding that we look at Jesus' ministry, a ministry of word and a ministry of deed. Right? And there's, a, there's a, always a, te- a tension to, to swing to one extreme or the other, right? Where it's just word, no deed. The bad example of that is when you go uh, out to eat, and as opposed to leaving a big tip, you leave a track that says, hey, come know Jesus. And it's like, thanks, jerk. Right? Great example for Christ. It's the person who's trying to make a living and you're not very helpful. Right? But then you have the other extreme of that. Preach, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. It's like, what a joke. Right? There couldn't be anything more countercultural to Scripture, right? Because Paul says, how can they know if they have not heard? And how can they hear unless somebody tells them? And so we are God's agents of redemption. But it is a word 
and deed because we use our words to give us a platform. Excuse me, our deeds give us a platform for words. And they give us the opportunity to speak the truth. And so if you look throughout Christian history, anytime that that civilization is falling apart and things are not well in the world, who is rushing in? It's the Christians. To be salt, to be light, to be and do kingdom work. So how has God uniquely positioned you to do kingdom work? So I talk to our student small group leaders all the time. I say, you're doing kingdom work by leading a student small group. Some of them think it's crazy work at times, but it's kingdom work by loving and serving middle and high schoolers and helping them come to know Jesus and establishing them in their faith and connecting them with someone in the body of Christ. And it's kingdom work, and it's soft and slow work. So what does the work for you in the synagogue look like? inside the local church, here. What does that look like for you? If you think about those areas. Maybe it's teaching Sunday school, leading a small group. Maybe it's serving in some capacity. We we don't talk about or think about even the, the, the beautiful, wonderful people who make sausage biscuits and coffee. We don't, they're not just making coffee and sausage biscuits. What are they doing? They're creating an environment and cultivating an environment for the best possible worship experience that you can have when you come in. It's not just making sausage biscuits. It's way more than that. You know, we make this place look nice. Why? Because God has called us to, to, to be stewards, and we want to be good stewards of that. Where can you plug in within the, the body of Christ to serve with kingdom work? What does kingdom work look like for you outside the body? In your business? In your neighborhood? I've heard people even say before, well, I want to keep my business life and my personal life separate. Not an option for followers of Jesus. It doesn't work like that. Because as a follower of Christ, the gospel touches everything that you do. And it should touch everything that you do. And so how has God uniquely positioned you to love and serve people? To serve them with your hands, but also with your heart and with your words and tell them, hey, this is why I do this. It's because of what Christ has done for me. How has God uniquely positioned you? Word and deed. Deliverance and defeat. Knowing that we're not out here trying to defeat people, but it's a spiritual defeat that we are called to be a part of. That's why we do the World Mission Conference. You know, when I first got here, I was like, what is it? Is it a fundraiser? Yes, it is. It's how we raise money for missions. But it is way more than that. It is way more than that. And I just promise you, you will not be disappointed. Bring your family. Bring your children. You know, we have a Saturday morning work project, Kingdom Work in the community. That's what that is. It's not just one more thing that we're calling you to do. We're calling you to get a picture of what God is doing in the world and how you and your family and your children and your grandchildren can be a part of that. So we invite you to join us for the World Mission Conference. But maybe that's the question for you today. How can, how has God uniquely positioned you to labor for the kingdom in word 
and indeed.